There are two readings this evening, and as you probably appreciate with the uh, change of the service arrangements for this week, they're not being shown on the, uh, on the screens, but they should be easy enough to find. Uh, the first reading is from Genesis chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse 18. And the second reading, which I shall then uh, go straight on to, is actually from Acts chapter 13, which I hope should equally be easy to find. Acts chapter 13, and then commencing at verse 13. But I'll start with Genesis chapter 5. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 600 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. If we now turn to Acts chapter 13... Commencing at verse 13. And we join Paul on his first missionary journey. And in Acts we read, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power he led them out from that country. For about 40 years he endured their conduct in the wilderness and he overthrew seven nations in Cana, giving them their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this God gave them judges until the time of Samuel and the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And then moving forward to verse 36 in Acts 13. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead will not see decay.
Well, before I bring you greetings, let me just get the bad news out of the way. We are profoundly, we profoundly sympathize with you because of your Wimbledon experience. <laughs> and even more so because of your World Cup experience. Maybe you should have been as smart as Zimbabwe. We decided not even to go anywhere near that thing. We did not want to be embarrassed, so we decided not even to qualify for anything like what was going to embarrass us. But I want to assure you as I comfort you that even though it is called the World Cup, it's not the end of the world. There will be a lot of life after Wimbledon and a lot of life after the World Cup. Now that's the bad news out of the way. I want to bring you greetings from my wife, my four children, and our eight grandchildren. One of our children, our son, was in the British Army for years and is now a British citizen. He's got uh, a wife and two children. And they all know I am here and they are bringing you greetings. Also, I want to bring you greetings from the college that I lead. It's called Domboshawa Theological College. And it's a name that talks about the rock. We are building a firm foundation. That's why it is called Dombo, which means a rock. And Domboshawa is like a rock where the blood of Jesus has gone on and has acquired a that kind of a rocky color. So that's Domboshawa Theological College. I am delighted to be here for several reasons. When we were last here in 2005, there was nothing as grand as what I see now in terms of this building. I want to say congratulations. You have done a marvelous job. But I'm also delighted to be here on behalf of a college that you support, a college that you have been part of. You have been part of our journey. You have uh, been supportive to one of the students who has just completed uh, his studies, Pastor Mujiwa Onias, and his wife Mazioni, and their children. They send their greetings and they know that to be what they are now is because of Brighton Road Baptist Church. So thank you for making that difference. It was a great thing that you did. And now, of course, there's Masimbata Zarurwa, who just has a dissertation to complete his studies. Again, you have supported, you supported him to be able to do what he has done. You have made a big difference. So I want to say a very big thank you. In making a difference to these individuals, you have also made a difference to the entire institution. You see, when you hear of Zimbabwe, probably the images that come to your mind are images which are not positive. They are images of various, of corruption, of oppression, um, of so many things that have happened. 
But you get those images because as far as the media is concerned, bad news sells. Good news does not sell, so you don't get to hear the good news. You don't get to hear the fact that Christianity is thriving in Zimbabwe. You don't get to hear the fact that there is freedom of worship. You don't get to hear that there are institutions, except you of course because of what you are doing with us. There are institutions like Domboshawa Theological College, which instead of spending all the time cursing the darkness, is lighting the light. And is it not better to light the light than to curse the darkness? And so that's what we are doing. That's what you are helping us to do. So one of the important reasons for being delighted to be here was just to come and say thank you. To come and say thank you to the entire church and to people who have meant much, individuals who have meant much to us, people like uh, Ian and Pauline, uh, who, you know, Pauline was in Zimbabwe and helped my wife with the school that she is running. Uh, to, to get to meet people like Graham, who have been very active in the correspondence to and fro, and to see Tim, marvelous to see you, and to say how we are looking forward to the end of the writing of that book, and how we are asking that we would have that book on our shelf at Domboshawa Theological College. Uh, to, see, to see Jack, uh, whom we had never seen before, to see all of you who have meant much to us. So thank you. Thought I would take the first few minutes just introducing this work that you are supporting. So that is, you pray for us, you pray knowing some of the bigger picture of, of that particular college. So I'm introducing this college, Domboshawa Theological College. We're just going to move fast through, through the slides. This is where we are located. Uh, please just keep, keep on going. Uh, you know, you can see that Doboshawa is based in, uh, in Arare, quite within a walking distance from the, from the city center. We started our operations in uh, 1992, very, very humbly indeed. And uh, since then, we, we have had milestones of growth from just offering in our certificate programs for students who were registered at the University of Zimbabwe to offering diplomas in conjunction with the University of Zimbabwe 2007 to offering degree programs. And now we are actually saying, God is saying to us, you have circled around this mountain long enough. We, we believe that God is taking us a step even higher to offering master's programs. And by faith, we are saying from August of next year, we would like to take the college to, to, to that height. Let's just keep on going. Um, right. Uh, obviously, um, these are the old slides. <laughs> because in the new slides, I had taken myself out. <laughs> but uh, th thank you very much. Uh, we, we, we have been delighted to be part of the life of this particular college uh, to, to really be able to be like David, whom I'm going to be talking about later on, who served the purpose of God in his generation. That's why we are involved in this college. No matter how difficult the situation is, we are determined to stick with it. Please, let's keep on going. I'm sorry that the remote is not working. Uh, otherwise, I would have been controlling the pace of the slides. But let's just uh, keep, keep on going, please. 
Okay, yes, let's keep on going. I don't want to see myself too much, so we, 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 we just want to keep on going. Keep on, keep on, keep on going. Thank you very much. Um, okay, we're just going to present the mission statement of, of the college to provide biblically faithful, contextually relevant, and academically accredited uh, programs that can, produce, that can produce people who are characterized by, by those three C's. Conviction is very important to us. Character is very important to us. And so is competence. Right? Um, and I think you will agree that the problems that we see in the world, the bottom line, the most needed thing, are leaders of integrity. And that's what Duboshawa is trying to provide. This crying need for leaders of integrity. And our vision uh, is to be a center of excellence in internationally recognized theological uh, education and Christian leadership training. So you can see that we signed a, a memorandum of agreement. The lady that you see there is the vice chancellor of the Zimbabwe Open University. That is the college that we are working with in order to provide the, 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 the programs, the degree programs that we are providing. And if you are wondering about the administration of the college, we, are, we have got an interdenominational board of trustees responsible for all policy decisions, a finance committee that ensures that all funds which are received are accounted for, uh, a college staff of 26 people, uh, 14 full-time, and 12 adjunct lecturers. We have got a trust here in the UK. Uh, ever since our operations began, we have been supported by this Domboshawa Trust in the UK, uh, we, we began by supporting us 90% of our budget, uh, but now they are down to 16% of our budget. But that's how the college is running as we try to become more and more self-supporting as much as we can. Our students, uh, those are some of, some of the students, our enrollment rose from five students in 1992 to the current 78 students. Every semester we are saving that much, potentially going to 100 students from next uh, from next semester, uh, we have served students from over 20 denominations. As long as they are evangelical, they are, they are allowed to be, to be studying at Duboshawa uh, Theological College. And all 10 provinces of Zimbabwe have been covered by this uh, college. We, we equip them in different ways. We equip them in the classroom. We equip them further in group discussions. Please, let's continue. We equip them. <laughs> Keep on going. <laughs> Keep on going. Right, we equip them in uh, chapel services. Very important times when, when we meet with the Lord in a fresh way every week. And then after all that, it comes time to graduate them. Uh, you see that man there is the Dr. Geoffrey uh, Chada, the, who is the chairman of the board of trustees, whose job it is to keep our students uh, every year. Let's keep going. Our facilities, we own the facility at number 78, Fife Avenue, in the central business uh, district of Harare. So we are very fortunate that we can be owning our own building. 
without having to be paying death on it. Uh, we've got a library with uh, over 7,000 uh, volumes. Uh, in fact, we have now run out of space. Uh, and this, this is one of the needs for expanding the facilities that we have got. Even our reading space in the library has now become too small. And therefore, just like you expanded your facilities, we are also on an expansion drive so that we can meet the needs of the college. Continuing to talk about facilities, we even have a computer laboratory um, which is uh, connected to the internet so that students can be able to do research even on the internet. Let's keep on going. Okay, we are one of the first colleges to be registered by the Board of, Trustee, by the Board of Accreditation and Standardization of Actors, which is called BASA, as well as, of course, our relationship with the Zimbabwe Open University. So our programs are accredited programs, not just programs that we do in-house. Our expansion project that I was talking about, uh, as the Lord says, you have stayed long enough uh, at this mountain. We now wish to raise the standard of training uh, to master's level from August next year because we believe that the students who come out of the college must be national leaders so that Zimbabwe does not continue to be a land of bad news, but that through provision of uh, leaders of high quality, we can change the script of our nation called Zimbabwe. Right. And uh, there are two ways that we are thinking about. How are we going to expand? Well, we have already drawn plans uh, for building that structure that you see on the left. So we are saying, if the Lord allows, that might be one way to go. Or we might buy uh, a property uh, within the vicinity of our existing property. We are just looking to the Lord to say, Lord, show us which is the way to go in order to meet the needs that we have. Okay, so in order to do what we are doing, we have looked within the country and we've done various things to try to raise funds, including a groundbreaking ceremony uh, that we did. We, we commenced this program uh, of expansion in 2011 with a groundbreaking ceremony as an act of faith that one day we will be able to build. Let's continue. We even did sponsored walks uh, to, to fundraise, and in all this we even managed to raise $80,000, uh, a, a lot of which of course was spent on engineers and so forth in terms of the building that we have uh, designed on site. Okay, so when we talk about our immediate needs, is the financial survival of the college, in the light of Zimbabwe's economic crisis, you know, there is very little money flowing in Zimbabwe at the moment. Factories are closing down, so the students are struggling even to be able to pay their fees. So that is a big need that we have got. Hence our gratitude that we have helped two students to be able to scale this particular problem that we are talking about. But in terms of the longer-term needs, the development of the master's degree program next year, um, and the facilities that are needed in order to be able to do that. So those are the longer-term needs of the college. To be able to do this further, we are not only looking internally for internal resources, but we are looking also for partners. Uh, the, the people that you see there constitute uh, some of the members of the Domboshawa Trust in the, in, in the UK. Some of you might have met Malcolm Pritchard. 
Reverend Malcolm Pritchard, the second one from the, from the, from the left. The man on the extreme left is the treasurer of the Dombosha Trust in the, in the UK. So we need partners because we believe this is kingdom work. And the kingdom work is our work together, even though we in Zimbabwe might be the frontliners for that work. Well, we need partners because we know that together we can do it. And as Obama would say, yes, we can. I want to thank you so much for giving attention to that. Well, at this time, I would like to, I mean, you can see at the end of that slide, of course, there are some contact details uh, for people who might just want uh, our, our, our contacts uh, later on. But I would like us to turn to the word of God and maybe because we've been sitting for a little while to just to change gear, may I request that we get hold of our Bibles and we stand holding those Bibles. Let's stand and hold our Bibles. I would like us to make a declaration. Would you please say after me, this is the word of the Lord. What it says, I am, I am. What it says, I can do, I can do. For the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth proceed knowledge and understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I'm praying that as we turn to your word now, the word that was given to us by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that by the same Holy Spirit you will illuminate our hearts and our minds to behold wondrous things out of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please, let's be seated. I want to talk about legacy about leaving a legacy. The issue of legacy has become a personal issue to me. At one time, I was looking at an inscription that I'm sure you also must have seen. And the inscription says, there is only one life and it will soon be passed. Only what we do for the Lord will last. Zimbabwe went through a war. During this war time, there were occasions when I came very close to losing my life. A time when we were surrounded by angry soldiers and I was fired at by a very angry soldier because they had lost one of their comrades. The bullet hit the wall next to me. I survived that ordeal. A time of going over a landmine and the landmine did not explode. How did I know there was a landmine? Because there was a car driving behind me which hit the same landmine and a bed for truck was turned into a heap of twisted metal 
People died. People lost limbs. And I said, it could have been me or one of the passengers in my car. And the inscription came back to me strongly. There is only one life and it will soon be passed. What we do for the Lord is what will last. Let us remember this as we think about two ways of building a lasting legacy. And legacy is ensuring that even when we are no longer walking on this earth, but something of the impact of our lives, something of the influence of our lives, will be continuing. In fact, continuing in such a way that though we are said to have died, we would not have actually died. Legacy talks about significance. Rather than just success, we are talking about significance. Some fail to make the best of their earthly lives, though they may appear successful. Successful in the sense of being healthy and wealthy, and having a long life. And we say that person is successful. The question is, is that person significant? I come from a continent where some people are so concerned about being legends rather than about living a legacy. And one thing that comes to my mind when I think about that kind of leadership is what came to the mind of Solomon when he talked about vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And he says in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 14, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. And indeed, when we live our lives and we live for worldly success, but without leaving a lasting legacy, we are merely, in the words of Solomon, chasing the winds. Here is the question How do you want future generations to remember you? Building a legacy, a lasting legacy, has got really to do with two issues from our readings. Number one, building a lasting legacy has to do with how we walk with God. And this is where we come to the case of Enoch. When we read Genesis chapter 5, it sounds a very monotonous chapter. Because it just talks about people who were born, who grew up, who married, who had children, and then they died. And it goes on and on and on like that. In fact, many of the people mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, we can say, can only be remembered for five things. And these five things are not difficult Neither are they legacy building either. Number one is they were born. 
Now, is it difficult to be born? You don't even think about it. You don't choose your parents. So being born is something that just happens. You are born. And these people were born. Number two, because they were born and they lived on this earth, it means they occupied space and they consumed resources. Now, is it difficult to occupy space and to consume resources? Well, even animals do that. It's not a very legacy building thing. Number three is they gave birth to children. Again, it doesn't take too much thinking or effort. Maybe the ladies here might disagree when they think about the labor that is involved. But really and truly, that's not a, by itself, that's not a legacy building thing to say that they had children. And then they lived for years, some of them many, many years indeed. The question is, were they just quantity years or were they quality years? It's not how long they lived, but what was it that went into the years that they lived? So they lived for those long years. And then lastly, then they died. Again, how much effort does it take to die? I could have died without much effort if I had been hit by that bullet. I could have died without much effort if I had hit that landmine. It doesn't take much effort to die. And then they died. In particular, these people are represented by the person before Enoch and the person after Enoch. Before Enoch is a man called Jared. Jared was in fact the father of Enoch. And he lived 962 years. And then he died. But what is it that Jared left? What legacy do we know Jared for? We can't think of anything. Although he lived all those years. And then of course after Enoch, there's Methuselah who has got the if we say honor, maybe, of having lived the longest recorded life of uh, 969 years. And then he died. So what, do, what is it that we can remember from the 969 years that Methuselah lived? There was no legacy at all that is associated with it. But somewhere between Methuselah and Jared is a man called Enoch. Enoch, when you compare with the one before and the one after, you could even say he was not as successful as the others. He never lived anywhere near Jared or Methuselah. He lived a mere 365 years. That is comparatively. Less than half of what the others lived. So you could say he was not, there was no razzmatazz associated with his life. And yet he left a legacy. A spiritual legacy. Which talks about the importance of faithfully walking with God and pleasing God. What does it mean to walk with God? I think it means a number of things. A number of related things. 
It means prioritizing the relationship that we have with God. So that above God, nothing else will count as much as God does in our relationship priority. It means being like Mary, sitting at the feet of the Lord, listening to what is on the heart of the Lord. It is often very possible to be busy like Martha, doing the work of the Lord while ignoring the Lord of the work. When we walk with God, we will prioritize the Lord of the work even more than the work of the Lord. Walking with God is being like Moses. What the Bible says, talked with God face to face as a man talks with his friend. Walking with God means being like Paul, who valued what God valued more than what the world has. He says of his nationality, and he says of all other advantages that had accrued to him. He says all these things are rubbish. In fact, the Greek word that he uses for those things is the word skubalon. Or if you want to put it in plural, the word skubala. And the word skubala simply means cowder. So all these things that the world would look up to and say these are very important things. Be it houses and cars and reputation and position and nationality and, and, and winning the world soccer match and all those things. Paul says compared with the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus added to just a piece of cowdown. That is walking with God, prioritizing God. Enoch, of course, found his name in the Hall of Fame of, 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 of Hebrews chapter 11. A man who walked with God. Walking with God was essential in his building that legacy that became worthy to remember many, many generations after. And we still remember Enoch today as a man who walked with God. I'm sure walking with God would mean also all the time saying WWJD, what would Jesus do? Faced with the situation that I'm facing right now, faced with the opposition that faces me right now, what would Jesus do? Enoch gives us an example of how to build a lasting legacy. We cannot do it on our own. We can only do it when we are walking faithfully with our God. But I said there are two things, according to our readings, that go into building a lasting legacy. So if we learn from Enoch the value of walking with God, we learn from David, the one we read about from Acts chapter 13, the value of serving God's purpose in our generation. There are two significant things in that narration that Paul did. Paul gives a summary, very condensed, very, very full, but very condensed summary of the history of Israel 
from the way they went into Egypt, from the way they, God took them out of Egypt and for 40 years in that wilderness and, and then establishing them in the promised land and the judges and then coming the time of the kings. and You know, he gives such a good summary of the history of Israel. But in all that summary, there are some two very significant things that are said about David. In verse 22 of Acts chapter 13, we read, this is after God had, had taken away Saul, the first king who had reigned for 40 years. And then God putting in place of Saul, David, it says in verse 22, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That's a very significant statement said about David. I would like that said about me. Verse 36 then says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Indeed, David served the purposes of God. Which means at the heart of it all, David became obedient to the mission that God had given him to do. Obedient to God's mission. And there are so many examples in scripture of David's obedience to the mission of God. One of the very remembered stories. Anyone, even as a boy, was when he fought Goliath, the giant Goliath. After 40 days of Saul and the army being frozen in fear, watching this man just going up and down the valley and, and, and saying all kinds of challenges against the army of, of God challenged and afraid until David comes along. And he takes on Goliath, obedient to the mission that God had given him. We see him restraining himself from killing Saul, even when Saul deserved to be killed because of all the things that he was doing. And David had opportunities to do that. He would not do it. Obedient. To God. We see him writing the Psalms. And, and, and when he wrote those Psalms, he talks about his delight in God and his shunning evil. He says, for example, in Psalm chapter 37, verse 25, I was once young and now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. It's not that David did not sin. No, David sinned sometimes very grievously too. But when he did sin, he was obedient to the need to come back to God in confession. Which is what he did after the adultery that he committed with Bathsheba. And Psalm 51 is a testimony of a man who comes back to God in repentance for the sin that he had done. So when it comes to obedience, there is always a comparison 
in the, in the word of God. Between Saul, the first king, and David, the second king. David made decisions based on truth, the truth of God. Saul made decisions based on facts. Sometimes facts and truth don't go together. Is it facts or is it truth that rules us? Look at Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we see Saul offering an unauthorized sacrifice, which only a priest was allowed to do. But Saul did it when Samuel had promised that he was going to come and Samuel, being from the priestly family, would have been the one to be able to do it. But Saul offered this unauthorized sacrifice. And then Samuel arrived just after he had done it. And Samuel says in 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 11, What have you done? Samuel asked. And here is how Saul replied. He says, When I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Just look at the verbs in that response. He says, I saw, I thought, and I felt compelled. Now, when you look at it from a human logical point of view, those are the facts. The, you know, the, there was a big threat, and he wanted to appease the army and to, to make the army believe that God was with them. So he felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. He was basing his decisions on surface facts rather than the truth of God. Let me give you one more example of, 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 of Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul disobeyed the command to completely destroy all the Amalekites and all that belonged to the Amalekites. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 9. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat cows and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Now, when confronted by this fact, how did he respond? Well, in verse 15 of that 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul answered, the soldiers brought from the Amalekites, brought all these good things from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Now, factually, it did not make sense to destroy everything when you could use some of those things, as you would say, to good use. The soldiers spared those to put them to good use, but we, when it comes to the obedience part, he includes himself, when it comes to the disobedience, it's the soldiers who did it. But we completely destroyed the rest. Again, he looks at facts and he says, according to these facts, it does not make sense 
to destroy all these things. So Saul would be making all these kinds of decisions, even consulting the witch at Endo. It was all because of the facts rather than because of the truth of God. We need to be careful as we try to build a legacy that it is not the safest facts that drive how we respond, but it is the truth of God. And that is how David was able to fulfill the purposes of God in his own generation. Because truth was important to David, not just the surface facts. My friends, I would like to be someone who leaves a legacy. The reason why I'm involved at Dongoshawa Theological College is because I am building a legacy. Even when I'm gone, I don't say when I die. I'm saying when I'm gone. People who build legacies don't die. You know, we are told that David, when he had fulfilled the purposes of God, he only fell asleep, just fell asleep in rest, waiting for the resurrection. We are told that Enoch, who also built a legacy, was just no more found in this world because God had taken him. So when I am gone, I will still be alive. I will still be alive through the students whom I'm trying to impact with the gospel. I will still be alive through leaders of integrity who are lighting the light everywhere in Zimbabwe, who are making a real difference. I will still be alive. My question to you, is how do you want to be remembered? What legacy will make you live on even when you are no more? Will make you live on in this world? It may be that there is something happening in this country where the Lord is saying I'm giving you a mission to make a difference to what is happening in the UK. The land which gave us Christianity in Africa but the land which is desperately in need of being missionized. It may be that God is saying, you have got a role to play. But it may be that God is challenging some of you to play a role in as far as making a difference to a student at Domboshawa Theological College. So that even when you are gone, your influence, your impact is still speaking to the world because of you. How do you want to be remembered? There is only one life and it will soon be passed. What you do for the Lord, that is what will last. And I want to conclude by saying, according to some meditations that I received even just the day before yesterday, that it doesn't matter who we are, we can build that legacy. Why? He says God doesn't care about age. No wonder he blessed Abraham. He doesn't care about experience. No wonder he chose David. He doesn't care about gender. 
No wonder he lifted Esther. He doesn't care about your past. No wonder he called Paul. He doesn't care about your physical appearance. No wonder he chose Zacchaeus. He doesn't care about your age. No wonder he called Samuel. He doesn't care about your fluency in speech. No wonder he chose Moses. He doesn't care about your career. No wonder he befriended Mary Magdalene. He doesn't care about your class. No wonder he sent, he sent his own son to earth. All I know is that my God never changes. He never makes a promise he wouldn't keep. He never saw a person he wouldn't help. He never heard a prayer he wouldn't answer. He never found a soul he wouldn't love. He never found a sinner he wouldn't forgive. So you and I, no matter what our station in life, can build a lasting legacy. That is what I long for. When we meet in heaven, if we don't meet again on this earth, we will meet in heaven and we will talk about the legacy that continues to speak even when we are gone. May the Lord bless us as we meditate upon these things. Amen.